Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your hands. Let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work Ram Zone. I hope you're never the same. Today we have a very special privilege. One other time, the president and CEO of Halftime graced these studios. It was a couple of years ago, but I'd like to welcome back Dean Niewolny from Halftime, my absolute favorite, most impactful book having to do with marketplace ministry. Dean, thanks for coming back. Jim, thanks for having me. Great to be here. You know, and if you, uh, I don't know, is your dad going to listen to the show today? Did you I tell hope me so. Right? I told him to. Well, yeah. say hi to your dad then. Dad, mom, hope you're listening. <laughs> and if you're not, you can listen to the recording later. <laughs> That's the good news. All right. So, you know, as I open up every show, I always ask my guests just to share how Christ is making an impact in their lives, hmm. whether it has to do with your marriage, your your kids, your job. But how is Jesus, because of your relationship with him, how is, what's that impact look like? Yeah. Thanks, Jim. I, uh, you know, we're in an interesting season of life at our family, the Nawalny household. My daughter is 17, looking to go on to college. My son is transitioning from eighth grade to high school, and uh, a lot is going on at work. One of the things that uh, the Lord is definitely doing in my life is he's helping me be more content. And that's been a challenge for me over the years, being content, just being happy with what I have and, and what I'm doing. So um, one thing for sure is there's a lot more contentment in our family, and we stay focused on the Lord as all these things are happening around us as a family. But I would say the most important thing that I see the Lord doing for me and in our 
families' lives is there's so much more joy than there ever has been before because we are focused more on him than we ever have been. You know, to have my kids who now go to a Christian school outside of Dallas come home and pray with their mom and dad and spend time sharing the word with them, it's just so different for us because it's always been us sharing with them. Now they're sharing and building into us. So the Lord is just... uh, working on myself and Lisa, my wife, in a variety of different ways. And it's just such a great season of life for us. You know, it is, it's cool when you start to see the the payback and our kids mm. growing in their spiritual walk. And, and it's, it's exciting because, you know, your daughter who's about ready to go off to college, you have to let her go. It's hard. And you have to send her off to an institution where more than likely her faith will be challenged in every step that she mm. takes. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, the challenge, I think, for kids nowadays in high school is there's so much pressure and so much temptation. And uh, knock on wood, my daughter has uh, so that far... won't help, by the way. You can knock on wood. <laughs> well, she, she's doing just great, and, and she's coming out the other side as far as graduating from high school as just a great kid. Mm. And that's such a blessing mm. to have a kid that you can just be proud of. And in fact, speaking of being proud, I'd like to wish my little girl, Sarah, a happy birthday today. Even though she moved away and moved to Iowa, just hope mm. that your kids don't do that. Jump on 35 and just keep driving. <laughs> uh, yes. Happy birthday, Sarah. I love you, sweetheart. Hey, if you're listening on iHeartRadio or if you're listening on iTunes podcast, maybe the archive down the road, we're just hoping that something we say today will challenge you to deepen and trust the Lord in a way that you've never done before. And let me just give a little bit of my testimony as we come back to Dean Newolney from Halftime, the president and CEO of Halftime. This is a book. When I joked to my friends right after we moved to Florida in August of 2003, I said, listen, I'm kind of on my own midlife crisis, on my own time. I kind of programmed it in, and my friends all laughed, and I laughed. And, and, and one of my buddies says, Jim, maybe you just need to read this book. And so I got this book called Halftime in January of 2004 from my buddy Bob who then moved away and lives in Atlanta, but we're still friends. And I read this book and I finished the book going, wow, instead of just having a midlife crisis of buying a sports car, I'm in a midlife crisis and I'm not going to bother wasting time pursuing success, which is elusive. I want to pursue significance. So Dean, as you get to lead the organization that not only impacted my life, but it has impacted thousands of lives around the country. What's the most fun part about that? I think the fun part, or there's many things that are fun about halftime, but just when the light goes on for someone, when they truly understand their Ephesians 2.10 calling and they find God's sweet spot, there's nothing better than that. You know, a few weeks ago, we had a group of men and women, high-capacity men and women, C-level executives in for an event that we were doing, and we all commented when it was over to see these C-level executives get really vulnerable and emotional and cry with each other and share with each other. You know, when they're out in the marketplace or doing whatever they do day in and day out, they can't go to someone at work and and break down and get real vulnerable. They're the CEO. They don't have anybody to talk to. So when they come to halftime and they have this environment where they're with peers and they can get really vulnerable and open. And when God gets a hold of their heart and they make eye contact with God and he gives them their assignment and you just see it in their eyes, it's so fantastic. That is what I get up every day hoping to see. That keeps me motivated. I like that eye contact with God, mm-hmm. which it takes, you know, when I, whenever I think about it, I think of Elijah and, you know, when he ran those 40 days to escape, um, 
Jezebel and Ahab and Jezebel, wasn't it? Ahab mm-hmm. and Jezebel. And he runs away, and then he goes, but I just want I want to see you, Lord. I want to know that you're real. And and, and God goes by. There, there's all these noisy, all these different events, and, and then God walks by, and it's a, it's a whisper. That's mm-hmm. that's how he, he, he hears God in the whisper. And he doesn't get to see God, but he gets to see him the back. And, and I think that getting to see eye, God eye to eye is that just you got to be quiet. Yes. And, and that's what you guys are facilitating. Yes. You're facilitating quiet time for people to be able to sit back. And you call it halftime, but it's, you're really facilitating them to listen. It is definitely to be quiet. But I think in a lot of cases, people think, well, I'm just going to sit here and do nothing and wait to hear from God. And the reality is that even doing nothing takes work. Doing nothing, being in solitude time, spending time with the Holy Spirit, getting your assignment, there's work to do there. Okay, You can't just sit and expect if you do nothing, something's going to happen. In some cases, it does happen. But there is, there, there is a journey that you have to go on, and there's certain steps that you have to take, and there's certain things you need to do to be proactive to hear from God. So I know for me personally, when I went through this season, which was in 2006 to 2008, I set aside every Tuesday and Thursday morning for two hours to sit in solitude. Now, Jim, I'm a type A personality. <laughs> Sitting in solitude was not something that uh, I was comfortable doing. And most type A personalities are not. But that's where the Lord spoke to me. So it did take some some effort on my part, for sure. Well, three years. You, you said from 2006 to 2008. I mean, that's... That's a lot of time. But in that solitude, how did you spend that time trying to, I mean, were you reading your Bible, you, you, you journaling? What were you doing to just try to peel back the layers so you could hear the Lord? Yeah, well, if, if I was real honest with you, for the first half an hour, I was thinking about everything but the Lord, right? You know, <laughs> okay, I had everything, well, let's go. We want honesty. Everything going through my mind. But, you know, for the first half an hour, truly, it was just sitting in the dark with a piece of paper and a pencil just saying, Lord, I'm here, speak to me. And that's all I said. But I would just, my mind would be racing with so many things. So so for the first 30 minutes, I had to process through all of that. And then my mind would go blank and I would just listen. And whenever the Lord would say something, even though I didn't know for sure if it was the Lord or not, I would write it down. And sure. interestingly enough, over time, a theme started to develop. So I, I, I would just write down whatever I thought I was hearing. I like that. And I'm very often the same where I'll wake up and, I, and if I got a list, I got to write down my list mm-hmm. so that I can shut up because my brain is, I mean, I got a list. And even when I'm praying for people, I got to write the list down and let them know. I mean, so that I remember to reach out to them later. If the Lord lays somebody on my heart, I got to, I got to write it down because mm-hmm. as long as it's in my head, like if the Lord wakes me up at three o'clock in the morning, which is when he does, because that's when I'm the that's quietest right. is three o'clock in the morning. I got to write it down that I can go back to sleep. Well, I might have shared this the last time I was here, but at 3.30 in the morning, the first time Lisa and I went on a halftime uh, sponsored event, she woke up at 3.30 in the morning. She is the one who actually had the dream, and she woke up and said, you know what, what I just dreamt? I dreamt that you're going to be named the CEO and president of halftime, and we're moving from Chicago to Dallas, Texas. So I know for a fact the Lord speaks at 3.30 in the morning. Uh, that's when I see, I mean, <laughs> when, I, when, when I got the mission statement for I Work For Him, purposefully equipping vibrantly effective Christ followers in a workplace, mm-hmm. that was at 3.30 in the morning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but that's when I'm the most quiet. I don't know about you. Maybe you're noisy when you sleep, but when I'm, I'm the most quiet in the middle of the night. When halftimers come to the program, we tell them at the end of the first evening, we hope you have a restless night of sleep. 
We don't want them to have a restful night of sleep because we know the Holy Spirit will talk to some of them at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning and big things happen then. And, and it's also true, though, that when people go through the halftime, the long halftime weekend, they're not necessarily getting the answer that weekend. That's right. It's, it is truly a journey. And you asked me earlier, what are some of the things that we've learned uh, through halftime? One of the things that we've definitely learned is that it is a journey. Halftime a number of years ago started out with just a book, and then we moved on to having what we call our 27-hour launch experience, and then we added a year of coaching onto that. But what we're finding out now is that even a year of coaching isn't enough. It's a longer journey than that. Many folks come to us with a number of different issues that they have to work through before they can get to the point of figuring out their Ephesians 2.10 calling is. They may have a rough relationship with their spouse, with their kids, job, or whatever it may be. So there's certain things you have to work through, and it is definitely a journey. It's not overnight. You, know, you have to clean up a lot of garbage to get it out of the way so you can actually be willing to do whatever the Lord wants you to do. That's I mean, right. I know. I mean, a lot of people you're dealing with, these executives, they have very complicated lives. For sure. I mean, they got they got a house over here and a house over there, and they got a boat here and they got a boat up north. They got snowmobiles in Minnesota and well, maybe Wisconsin, you know, <laughs> Wisconsin. Oh, cheeseheads! <laughs> and, and, and I want just for the record, Dean is originally from Wisconsin, and despite the fact he's a cheesehead, he still is on my show. <laughs> well, it's not it's God's show. That's how he comes on. But but you have to clear up some of that clutter. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because people live with very cluttered lives, but they it, don't realize it though till they sit down. They don't realize it. That's right. Until they sit down and really reflect back and do some what we call archaeology of their life. Like, what have I done so far in my life, and what have been the, what's been the challenges in my life? In a lot of in a lot of cases, a, a certain event, maybe unfortunately a divorce or an addiction or something, will bring that person to halftime. But you're right. They don't really realize until they sit down and stop maybe some of the damage that's happening behind them with relationships with their kids or wife or whatever. Yeah. And that's that kind of I love that archaeology. That's good. Kind of digging into the past. Yeah. What, what, what kind of stuff have you left behind? Well, that I, the, what we try to do is help people go through a number of exercises to figure out and do archaeology on their life. To figure out how has God wired them? What are your strengths? What are your spiritual gifts? What are you really good at? What are you passionate about? And when you start to really dig into that, it's amazing what gets unearthed. And uh, and for a lot of people, like I said, there's some hurt in the past, but in a lot of cases, that hurt can turn into a powerful ministry. Almost always, yeah. God uses that past hurts, those hurts, habits, hangups. He, you know, the, the whole celebrate recovery thing. God almost always, no, I mean, it's an always. God never wastes an experience. I have seen people go through; he, ne- he never wastes it. Now, sometimes people waste experiences, but God yeah. always wants to use that past for us to be able to use that to help minister to other people. That's right. I remember a, a quick story of <clears throat> a gentleman who was trying to figure out what he was passionate about. And he came to halftime and said, I just want you to know I'm passionate about nothing. And we said, well, everybody has passions about something. So he said, what can I do to figure out my passions? We said, read the USA Today for one week, okay, and figure out what motivates you, makes you cry, makes you laugh. At the end of the week, he said, it didn't work. All I did was read the sports section. And we said, exactly, <laughs> that's your ministry. Dean, you had been in the financial services industry for 23 years before moving over to halftime. That's right. That was a that was a big shift because you went from a, an industry where your income was unlimited 
you could, I mean, the sky's the limit. And of course, except for this year when the <laughs> stock market's down, you know, a couple thousand points. But how, how did God get a grip on your life to help you realize that what you were holding on to was just the mud and the dirt and he had gold waiting for you? Yeah, that's a great question, Jim. I I was in the financial services for 23 years, but I would say for the last 10 years to, th- to 12 years of that, uh, I was very unsettled. Because what I realized in 1995, when God found me, quite honestly, um, was that, do I want to be on the economic scale that society's on, or do I want to be on the economic scale that God has for me. And when you think of building up treasure in heaven, was I really doing that or was I building up treasure for myself? And it was very obvious to me through my mid-30s to early 40s that all the focus that I was putting into my daily activities was all about me. And it was building up more resources, more stuff, more material possessions, nothing that would transfer to uh, building up others or moving on into eternity, it's all going to stay here. So what happened to me is in two, in 2006, as I was sitting on the 40th floor of my office building, I literally looked out the window and said, God, is this all there is? There has to be more to life than this. Because <clears throat> when I looked at it, I was doing nothing as far as building up treasure in heaven. I was building up all the treasure on earth. So for me, I really started to go through this process of, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? What's my legacy? If I died today, what is my legacy? Who would come to my funeral and what would they say? They would probably say, well, hey, there, he was a good guy, and made a fair amount of money. But other than that, he didn't have much of an impact. I remember going to a funeral for a little old lady who died. There was 500 kids there. And I, sa- I asked the girl next to me, I said, why are all these kids here? And she said, it's because she built into their lives. And I started thinking to myself, this was all during the same season. And I started thinking to myself, you know what, Dean, whose life are you building into? What difference are you making? What legacy are you leaving? What are you going to, what, what kind of example are you leaving for your kids? And I was leaving an example, but the example was all focused on me and was not focused on the kingdom, wasn't focused on making any sort of difference in heaven. So that's what started me on the journey. And uh, one thing led to another. I started reading the book for the third time, uh, which happens to most. So who gave it to you? Um, you know, Jim, I don't know who gave it to me the, the third time. Uh, I remember seeing Bob Buford get interviewed at Willow Creek Community Church in okay. Chicago in the 90s. All right. And uh, I remember my response was, that that's good for him, but I'm still all about me <laughs> at that time. <laughs> well, at least you're honest. But, uh, and then in 2006, I just made a decision that it was time to, to change. And uh, I was invited to a men's Bible study, and ironically, they were studying the book Halftime, and one thing led to another, and four years later, through a, a crazy series of events, I ended up being named the CEO of Halftime. But at the same time you're going through that journey, Lisa had to go through that journey as well. Yeah. And, and your kids, you know, in 2006, your kids were little. I mean, as, right. as my estimation, they were like seven and three, if, I'm, right. if I'm guessing right. Okay, so... How did Lisa come alongside you? Because she had, she's got quite a popular presence as well out there. Yeah. She misses America, misses Mrs. Texas. I mean, I'm trying to yeah. think. It was some pageant. She's famous Mr. in <laughs> Texas. Yeah, well, Lisa absolutely uh, has had a great career and continues to have a great career. And uh, 
at the same time I was going through some of these challenges, um, Lisa was in her own season trying to figure out what is God's assignment for me or for her. And one of the things that resonated with Lisa at the same time was this whole idea of serving women in, in children. And she wrote a book called Girls of Greatness, uh, which now has uh, chapters all over the country and internationally. But when I was going through this, Lisa and I would sit down and talk through the feelings I was having. And you bring up such a good point because in a lot of cases, one spouse will get to a point where they say, enough's enough, enough's enough. It's time for me to go and do something more with my life. But they forget they're married yeah. and their spouse is, is, is on this journey with them. And what ends up happening is the spouse ends up getting scared because they don't know exactly what's going on. There's not enough communication taking place. So to answer your question, when I went to the Halftime Institute, Bob Buford said, Dean, stop. You, you do not go forward without your spouse because she's not where you're at. We've had countless people on the show who understood, hey, the pursuit, the, the time that I'm spending right now pursuing success, I'm wasting my time. What am I doing to make an impact on the kingdom? What's the wood, hay, and stubble I need to get out of the way so I can get gold, diamonds, or gold, precious stones, gold, silver, and precious stones? Dean, as we, you mentioned that you love to ask people certain questions in order to be able to get them really thinking. And I imagine you must ask these questions on that first night so that that's why they can't sleep that first night. But because, because those are the powerful questions. We talked about this a little off the air. Dean goes, well, well maybe we talk about these questions. I'm like, okay, these are good questions. So the first one you said, imagine it's your 80th birthday. That's right. What? Well, go ahead. Take your question from there. It's your 80th birthday. Yeah, I think it gives one an opportunity to think back on their life. And, and the question really is, is, imagine it's your 80th birthday and your spouse invites you to your favorite restaurant and to your surprise, the whole restaurant is rented out just for you, Jim. 200 of your friends and family and business associates are there to honor your birthday. And one by one, they go up to the microphone. What would you hope to hear to this question? Beyond your marriage, family, and friends, the most significant contribution you made to humanity is what? And it, That's a powerful question. It People really need to be is. asking that question every day. Yeah, it really is a, a powerful question because in a lot of cases, it stops people in their tracks. They're like, wow, the impact I made on humanity, what do you mean by that? I've done a lot for myself. Okay, I've done a lot for my wife and kids, which is your number one ministry. It's an important ministry. Absolutely. But what have you done for humanity? What difference have you made? What's the legacy? And I, I use the example of the little old lady uh, a few minutes ago going to her funeral. It was an eye-opener for me to see all these kids there who said, this lady built into my life. She cared about me. She cared about who I was and the legacy that I would leave so when I think of my 80th birthday, my hope is that my friends go up and ask that question and I have a concrete answer that I impacted the issues that Jesus cares about. And in order to be able to answer that question, you need to know the issues that Jesus cares about. And what I find often is a lot of Christ followers are so caught up in busyness, they don't ever read their Bible to find out what issues Jesus really cared about. Yeah. I mean, Jesus didn't care about religion. He cared about the sick, 
the poor, the hurting. Those are the people that he cared about. He cared about you and me. I mean, he, he wasn't interested in all the riches we could make. He was interested in our lives and our closeness to our Heavenly Father. Yeah, and I, one of the things we see quite a bit is folks get stuck, and they say, I haven't heard from the Lord. Okay, they, want, they, they feel like it needs to be this big, grandiose assignment. And I'll give you an example of a lady, Sandy Griffith, in Houston, Texas, who rocks babies at Ben Taub Hospital for drug-addicted mothers. Mm. That's her ministry. Her ministry is to go in and love and care for these little babies who are not getting loved and cared for because their mothers are incarcerated. So that is an incredible ministry and an impactful ministry. And you and I know this and everybody listening, but God's smiling down on her because she's doing that. It's not a grandiose, um, uh, you know, in, in, in the secular eyes, if you will, is not a grandiose assignment. It is a huge assignment, though. She's who I would call a corpuscle. See, a lot of times when we talk about the body of Christ, we all have, we got arms and feet and legs and eyes and ears and the mouthpiece. Nobody ever talks about the muscles, the corpuscles, yeah. the, the blood vessels. Mm. Who are those people in the body of Christ? That mm. woman rocking babies, she's a corpuscle. Yeah. <laughs> she's doing, sure. she's pumping the blood. She's making a huge impact because those kids touch is such an important thing to babies. They, they, they got to know that they're loved, yeah. and especially if they're born from a drug addicted mothers. They probably were born drug addicted. Yeah. Yeah. So when you when you you get to this place where you start asking yourself tough questions, it's humbling. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's humbling to ask you those questions because none of us want to waste our time on earth. Mm-hmm. Yet a lot of us get so caught up, we don't realize we're wasting the time. Mm-hmm. So you you continue to ask some more tough questions. Yeah, we uh, another question that we like to ask. And, and we call these questions um, disruptive questions to get folks uncomfortable. Because when you get to that point of being uncomfortable and really vulnerable with yourself and real transparent, and you have that conversation with the Lord, a lot of these issues will bubble up and you can work on them. I mean, that's the whole idea. But the next question we like to ask is a cost accounting question. People are going, and, cost accounting? Yeah. I failed that in college. <laughs> well, me too, by the way. But the question is, what is all your gaining costing you? Gaining with a G, because I had to ask Dean that one. What is all your gaining, all the stuff you're pursuing to gain, what is it costing you? Yeah, so the question really is, is it costing you your marriage? Is it costing you your faith? Is it costing you your relationship with your kids? Is it costing you your health? For, for example, there's a gentleman in Texas who was an extremely successful uh, entrepreneur, started an insurance organization, grew it to 16,000 employees, retired at age of 65. But when he retired to his 3,000-acre ranch, he ended up being there by himself. His wife at that point had left him, his kids had left him, and he was all alone and by himself. So what was all his gaining costing him? It cost him his family. Cost him everything. Cost him everything. That's right. But it's 3,000 acre ranch, which that is so big. That would be ridiculous being what? in the middle of 3,000 acres alone. I say it for emphasis. It yeah. really is 3,000. But can you imagine mm. going out there and thinking you're going to enjoy the rest of your life with your family and no one's there? And so the, what's costing that gentleman, what it cost that gentleman was his family. The second question we like to ask is asset protection. What can you afford not to lose? What do you have that's priceless? 
And what specifically are you doing proactively to protect that? So when I ask the question, what can you afford not to lose and what is priceless? It probably is your faith, your relationship with your spouse, your kids, your health, the things that I mentioned earlier. Right. But what specifically are you doing proactively to protect that? So one of our team members at halftime, one of the things that he does with his spouse is he has what he calls a Linda Day. And a Linda Day is every Friday because his wife is someone he wants to protect, of course. So Linda Day is, Linda, we're going to do whatever you want to do from the time we get up till the time we go to bed. And she, she will guide the whole day, okay? I will say a funny side note to that when I said to my wife, Lisa, what do you think about a Lisa Day? Lisa said, every day is a Lisa day, Dean. There's not one day. But anyway, <laughs> <Okay>. she, <laughs> but she, uh, oh, she's, she's fantastic. But nonetheless, what are you doing proactively to protect those things that are priceless? Mm, I then, love that. Hey, I want to thank Lena for calling in from Lithia. We'll send out a copy of Halftime here to you in the next week or so. But thanks so much for listening, Lena. We're so grateful. And with a name like Lena, is it possible that you're from the upper Midwest? Because Oli and Lena, they're always from Minnesota. I don't know. <laughs> but thanks so much for listening, Lena. All right. So you, you asked the first question, you know, what's it, the cost accounting question? What is all you're gaining costing you? Then your asset question, what can you not afford to lose and how are you protecting it? What's the third one? The third one is metrics. And this question is, if you were living the perfect second half two years from now, how would you know? In other words, how would you know if you're finishing well? And the key here is I'm not asking what would you be doing, but how would you know that you're finishing well? And for me, there's a variety of things. Number one, my wife would be flourishing in her pursuits. The Girls of Greatness ministry uh, that God has put on our heart would be flourishing. Our kids would have high self-esteem. My wife and I would be more in love than ever. We would be freed up from stuff, material possessions. And every day we'd be serving others to make a difference and leave a legacy. And most importantly, do all of this not only to serve the Lord, but to set an example for our kids because our kids watch us. It's, it's amazing when we have folks go through halftime and say, you know what? I'm just not ready to go through the halftime process yet because we still have children at home. And, and, and in some cases, that's absolutely fine, of course. But in other cases, it's an opportunity to set an example for your kids. So when you take your kids down to serve at the soup kitchen or you take your kids to go serve uh, at a homeless shelter or whatever it is, you're setting an example for your kids. So... My life, anyway, if it was to finish perfect, would be all those things and setting an example for my kids. I love those questions. Those are so powerful. And really, so what you're, what halftime is doing is, is getting people to ask themselves the tough questions that they wouldn't do on their own. That's right. And, and the process, I mean, it, it starts up for me and for many people, it started off with the book as Lena and Patty called him for the book today. Ace started reading it yesterday. I mean, you got to read the book, but then you've got a lot of other, the ministry expands from there. Talk a little bit about, we haven't done any advertising for, we've just been talking about really heavy stuff. Talk about what halftime can do to take people from the end of the book where they're like, nah, I got to get me some of that mm -hmm. to what do they, what do they do? 
I mean, what, what can you guys do to help? Yeah, Halftime provides a safe platform to help you figure out your confusion. As we like to say, think your confusion out loud. So the Halftime program, if you called Halftime.org and talked to Rhonda and, and went to the next step of going through our program, what we do is the first day we spend that whole day on archaeology, as I said earlier, and that's all about who are you at the core, what are your strengths, what are your gifts, what are your passions, how has God wired you, and you really get a really strong, clear understanding of who you are at the core. And then we take day number two, and it's all about construction. So you have archaeology on day one, construction on day two. You take everything you learn in day one, and you start to put together a plan for the future on how you're going to begin identifying more and more what your Ephesians 2.10 calling is, but it's really a launch program to get you started. The secret sauce begins after that, and that is when you have a one-on-one coaching session every single month with a halftime certified coach. Now, Bob Buford said to you, stop what you're doing. you got to get Lisa to come alongside of you. That's right. How important is that for a spouse to come alongside their spouse when they're going through the halftime process? It's critical. The, the, the journey will not work if you're not equally yoked. Um, it is too stressful. It's too difficult. Because in, in some cases, uh, folks do leave the marketplace and go into the ministry where there's a lot of adjustment if that happens. Now, the misunderstanding, though, uh, with halftime is that you have to do that. You absolutely don't have to do that. 70% of folks stay right where they're at. But they make a course correction well, and that's what I like. That's what I like to remind people. Halftime doesn't mean you leave it and go into what people would call a full-time church ministry. Yeah. It's recognizing that where you're at is already a ministry. That's right. To become a, you've got a choice. You can go and go to work for a nonprofit, or you can become a pastor in your own workplace and recognize that God has called you to that mission field. Yeah. And, and that's the significance of where you're taking people. Dean, in the last minute of the show, talk to me about why you know what it looks like for people that are ready. To go through halftime. Yeah. Uh, so the program itself, I shared a little bit of, and you should first of all feel uh, comfortable knowing that many others are in the same spot you're in. This uh, this unsettledness, this God's pulling at my heartstrings, and I don't know what to do with it. They're never for years. There is no way to really go out there and explore or try to figure out how to resolve that. So halftime helps you think your confusion out loud. So if you feel the Lord tugging on your heartstrings and you want to focus on having a more of a significant life, if you will, halftime can help you with that. It will help you figure out how can you be more significant where you're at in the marketplace, and we're seeing a lot more of that. But it also can help you if God's calling you out of that to do something different. We can help you get clarity on what your passion is and what your personal Ephesians 2.10 calling is. So we, we, love, we love this ministry. It's our calling for everybody that works at halftime. And our desire is to help everyone who attends halftime figure out their Ephesians 2.10 calling. 
Dean Nimolny, President and CEO of Halftime, thank you so much for being on the air with us Thanks, today. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Thank you. We've come to the end of another I Work Ram show. Thanks for tuning in today. Thanks so much to Ace Andrews for answering all those phone calls. Hey, thanks to our show sponsors keeping us on the air every day. Go out to iworkforhim.com. Go to the bottom of the front page. You'll see all those sponsors and ministries, businesses and ministries that are helping keep us on the air. When you get home today, would you consider joining the I Work For Him Nation? Make that commitment to start impacting your workplace and impacting your own life by praying for your coworkers and employees by name each and every day. And right after you've done signing up for the I Work For Him Nation, go to halftime.org, halftime.org, and find out more about this amazing ministry that helped transform yours truly and thousands of lives around the country. So what did you learn today about how we can take this city for Jesus Christ? What question do you need to be asking yourself? today a lot about the questions that we should be asking ourselves the questions that that really instead of just pursuing and pushing on and pushing on and pushing on in our workplaces where we're at without really asking ourselves the tough questions we need to just step back and say okay what is it of what I'm doing today is really impacting the kingdom and what of it is wood hay and stubble what is it that you're doing that could impact the people that you're working with to help us recognize that our workplace is our mission field. And then that mission field, no matter what it is, it doesn't matter what you do, you can make an impact on the kingdom. You don't have to be a pastor in a church to make an impact on the kingdom. You can be a pastor as a plumber, pastor as an electrician, pastor as a used car sales guy. But you gotta stop. You gotta ask yourself questions. What's the impact that you're making? Go to halftime.org, find out more about them. You've been listening to the I Work For Him show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower and I own my own business, but ultimately, I work for him. Yeah.